Welcome, I'm Ruth Franger, founder of Conscious Leaders. This podcast provides a platform for proven people leaders, also running highly successful businesses. And I've just digested their top traits and behaviors into a book called Next Level Leadership, Nine Lessons from Conscious Leaders. For more info on that, visit consciousleaders.org.uk and subscribe to our newsletter. Or find me, Ruth Franger, on LinkedIn or Twitter. Now it's so good to start having a few great guests back on the podcast. And this next guest really is the real deal when it comes to the societal and business case for diversity and inclusion. She is so wise beyond her years as a young co-founder of advertising agency, The Elephant Room. Now I first invited her on the podcast when she spoke out very publicly about the advertising industry's empty response after George Floyd's death and the Black Lives Matter campaign began. This time, she's more optimistic about change and how leaders can make a tangible difference. So let's begin. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you back. It's been, not I'm gonna say a while, but not like a crazy while, but it has been a minute. So if we take listeners back who may or may not have heard your first interview, it was shortly after you going a bit viral when you wrote a letter to reply to the advertising agency's response to Black Lives Matter. Yeah. And your disappointment, really, with how how far they weren't going. Not through bad intention, but through lack of imagination, maybe. Or Yeah. Yeah, correct. How would you like to... How would you frame the last couple of years since George Floyd, since that happened? What runs through your mind when you think how far we've come on, on Black Lives Matter, on this work? For the most part, I think we've done better at sharing. And by sharing, I mean a lot of people, particularly around the people I'm around and who work in agencies, a lot of them have come forth and said, I don't know. Like as in, I don't know what to do. I don't know how I can be helpful. But what I do have is my expertise or I've got a little spare time here or my agency have been working on X, so this is it. And then some other people have kind of gone, I need to do more. So it's like, not that they weren't doing anything at all, but it was very minuscule. There was no necessarily like measurement against it, they were just sort of doing, whereas now it's like process, formatted structure. So it's like, actually, if we're gonna do something, we have to do it properly. So this is when we're going to do it. This is how I've also seen that approach. And I think had we had not gone through that during 2020 for people to get that wake-up call, I don't think they would have had that, I suppose, point of view. So I think for the most part, the the change hasn't been happening rapidly, (laughs) but it has been happening in a sense where people are a lot more aware and realising that, okay, this is not just me. This is going to take a village, like... So I'm going to share my ideas, I'm going to admit that I can't do this, or I'm going to ask about this, and I, I see that a lot more now. Mm. It's interesting you say people are coming with like a, a don't-know mind or a curious, or yeah. offering their expertise, because it felt like in the very beginning there was a lot of, there was all those emails, wasn't there? Everyone had a Black Lives Matter email <laughs> yeah. about this statement about what the company was or wasn't doing. Yeah, it wasn't, yeah. So it feels like people did know something then, but you're seeing more curiosity and openness now. Yeah. And do you think that's actually restricted to your industry or do you think, like, how wide does that go, do you think? 
people in general, I think, have hesitated to have the I don't know mindset because of how they might be perceived to not know, if that makes sense. It's a vulnerable place, maybe. Yeah, like to to admit that you, you don't know how to act or you don't know what to say or you don't know how to comfort someone or a group of people in the position that you may not be in or... Um, you may not relate to it's it's quite a yeah like a vulnerable position to be in but I think over the course of time what's happened is is that people recognize that to be silent is worse mm. so and and, be, and because as well we were in a time where uh, you'll get called out if you weren't saying something then it's also like it's a bit like oh like now I'm in an awkward position because I have to say something, but then I don't know what to say. So, but I think people have become more comfortable comfortable with the idea of admitting that I'm, I actually don't know what to say. However, I also don't want to be silent. So therefore I'm going to say, what do you need from me? Or I'm going to ask more questions or I'm going to be more curious. And by me being more curious, hopefully that helps you understand that I'm not trying to come from a place of bad intent or I'm not coming trying to come from a place of privilege where everything's okay for me, etc. And I think that's taught me a lot in a sense where... I mean, I always say lead with grace anyway because I think it's just important to do that. But I think, from my perspective, I would much rather brands, companies, organisations, agencies, etc., have a much more of a transparent dialogue with their people rather than a, a dialogue where people think they're doing the right thing or think they're doing things. But it's wind addressing, right? Exactly. Yeah. So it's like, it's, 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 um, it's still a process, but I think, I think we're doing better than where we started for that and mm-hmm. simply because people are trying to be more curious and they're trying to be more curious with intent. Mm, with positive intent. Yeah, with, with positive intent. Yeah. yeah. And what are some of the like best and worst things you see out there? And you, know, you don't have to name names, <laughs> you can. But when you look at organisations, maybe their clients, maybe their partners, maybe it's something you're doing, what's the best type of examples you see? And maybe even contrasting what, what do you find really hard to like swallow? as eBay have impressed me a lot lately. And the reason for that is because not only did they do the partnership with Love Island on the whole sustainability and fast fashion thing where it's about thrift and stuff, and I think that that's a really important message in general across the board, but also as well, like, they'd done a really big partnership with Black Girl Fest, and it was all about, like, amplifying the voices of, like, small black businesses, um, women, um, particularly black women who never get VC funded, like, and it was just like, wow, like, that's a big, like, uh, advocacy to take on because it's not something that a lot of people are doing. And it's, it's a rule, it's, it's a rule, uh, big, uh, gap in terms of access for, black women but they're not only black women 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 who are black who have businesses and then have no knowledge at all so they're literally starting from zero so the journey that you would have had to have gone on 
with those women is a big one do you know what I mean so I think that that is something that I've seen lately and obviously shout out to Black Girl Fest for also doing the collaboration so we've got some organisations who clearly are taking on board a lot of wider wisdom maybe they're operating with a don't know mind and they're mm-hmm. coming out and creating things that really add value to society mm-hmm. and there's some organizations which we witness and i do think this is a large amount of organizations but no doubt there is positive intent too mm-hmm. where their diversity and inclusion initiatives are are window dressing you know to a certain extent mm-hmm. so it might be let's put more diverse people in our adverts let's do some unconscious bias training mm-hmm. let's do something to signal that we care mm-hmm. however when you look under the surface mm-hmm. it, it's ticking a box and then there are other organizations like that you've just named who have really thought mm, how do we really mobilize young diverse people who don't have the same opportunities and really give back in a way what do you, when you look at the that spectrum as it were Mm -hmm. what do you think helps the companies that are really making an impact really do that and what do you think limits the companies that are doing the tokenistic stuff what what do we think is going on there i think it's a multitude of things if i'm being like completely honest but a big part of it is i think trust like if you think about a lot of again i speak in the term of agencies and stuff because the only word I know. That's your world, yeah. Yeah. So marketing, advertising. Yeah, yeah. But like, if you think about an agency that would have been, let's say, 100 years old or like 50 years old, even like 20 years old, and they've built something to a certain process or structure or format that works for them, and within that yes they've had to change because the world's changing but ultimately they're the process that works for them as an organization and in that process they've never really had to think about anything else outside of that then all of a sudden things like black lives matter happen um things like covid happen that no one would have necessarily predicted and then you realize that the way in which you're working isn't working And I can imagine it being quite a scary thing to say we're going to rework everything. We're going to have to actually now put in new initiatives or um, form of programming that can make our place more diverse because that's what we need to be thinking about. It's quite a scary thing to then take on because if you get it wrong the impact is probably even bigger than the the what the impact the fallout. Trying to make. Yeah. I suppose organizations are so like exposed to the press and to yeah, exactly. the risks involved yeah. in some of this are actually quite high. It's it's and it's it's a case of if you've never done something like that before the risk is really high like because you've never done it before. So that the, the, I can imagine the, the and again I'm not I'm not necessarily defending them but I'm just saying that I can, like it's I can understand where the, the, yeah, the concept of fear comes in or the concept of, like, I'm not ready for this. I need to start really small <laughs> and I need to make my way up here. With some unconscious bias training. Yeah, with some unconscious, like, yeah. like, with pockets of workshops. And, and again, not even saying that that's the right approach. I'm, I'm just saying that I understand 
where people's thinking might go because of the fear and because of them not being able to sort of, um, I suppose, come to terms with the idea of change very easily, it then leads them to doing things like what you just explained. And again, not necessarily the right or wrong answer to it, but I also think that there's like a level of accountability on everybody, which I think a lot of people in our industry don't realise that everyone who exists in the industry has an accountability to do better. And a lot of the time, it's left to leadership, people in higher places, probably people with more money. And it's like, but you should be doing it because it's your organisation or it's um, it's something that you you have to deal with. And I feel like that, again, is also the wrong approach. Yes, of course, the responsibility is on... Um, certain C-suites or people running organisations to be able to implement those things but the reality is to raise it and to make people aware of it that's not necessarily just mm. uh, their responsibility that's everybody's because we're, we're all a part of the system <laughs> do you mm. know what I mean um, and I, I guess you need a bit of a culture of autonomy though as well to help yeah. say someone wants to pick something up and run with something internally some companies oh, will really allow that more yeah. than others. Or some will be like, well, you can have your your group, but it's got no budget, no airtime, no yeah. no power. Yeah, so. absolutely. That culture of autonomy, is, I think, is a great word, or a great way to frame it, actually. But it goes back to that, I mean, we had a previous conversation about belonging, but it goes back to that piece about empowerment. And one of the best pieces of advice I think I've ever got from Dan um, he's your co-founder who yeah who is co-founder at the elephant room is that when we first uh like began the elephant room he said to me i need you to feel empowered to say no and you as an individual need to become one of those individuals that understand the empowerment of saying no is where power comes from because the problem is, is that a lot of the time, if you do see yourself as less than, or you don't really think you have much to give, and you're already there because, you, I don't know, you're either an intern or you're a junior or you're a minority, because those things do go through your head. I mean, I think those things go through everyone's head, but probably more so when you're a woman, like all of those things. And then no one is like sort of, supporting you or helping you or empowering you or anything you're going to feel like you got to do everything mm. just you to say yes yeah just, you got to always say yes or you mm. got to prove yourself or you've got to constantly be doing things you don't really want to be doing but mm. because you like you don't realize your value or you don't realize your worth yet or you're not in a position say to say yes or no you kind of feel like mm, I'm just going to go with it. Whatever is asked of me, I'm just going to do. And I'm going to mm. know my place. And a lot of the time that does happen. But when you're empowered to say no and you don't feel judged for it or you're not made to feel like, you know, you're complicated or all of those things, it allows you to realise, like, okay, what do I really want to achieve here? Or what is my objective of this? And 
why did I say no to that versus yes to this? And mm. you become a lot more intentional with what yeah. you're trying to achieve because you understand your value there and you, because you understand what you're good at, because you understand the things you want to work on, because you understand your passion points. And I think that we need a lot more people like that giving that advice to people who are probably like myself, who come from minority backgrounds, who don't necessarily know the access or have the knowledge beforehand and not starting from a place of privilege whereby I've had loads of people in my family go to X university or whatever. And I think when you're speaking about, again, DEI or belonging or anything that has to do with like building a, a diverse space, a lot of that is making sure that the people you're bringing into that space is they're empowered. They're really heard. And, and, and yeah, exactly. and it, it seems like a good time to sort of shift the conversation to, we've talked a little bit about externally and like mm-hmm. how people are perceived, what work they're doing externally to help society with mm-hmm. good and bad examples, tokenistic and thought through. And then if we look at employee work and how yeah. we mobilize and support minority groups in companies, we, we kind of came in our conversation, which is why one of the nine lessons in the book I've written is about belonging was partly because of our conversation about yeah about what it takes for someone to feel like they belong. And I don't know if you want to talk to that a little bit more from your perspective of your peers or, or people you've worked with. Or. I think it's so funny because the term belonging to me, again, has so many different, um, not necessarily meanings, but I think it, I think it's quite a personal word, personally. Um, but I, but I do think that from, from a generic, generic perspective, if you're, and, and from an em- employer perspective, if you are trying to build belonging in your company, you should be, you should be empowering your employees like period like that that should be a part of the process you should be making them feel welcome naturally but that making someone feel welcome shouldn't necessarily be on the rule book everyone should feel welcomed in your work like do you know what i mean like that shouldn't be like a rule that should just be a thing but a rule should be like development training for example a rule should be making sure people feel heard regardless of the circumstance and 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 those are things that you then put into practice we see a lot of organizations wanting to do the right thing they're wanting to hire more diverse people Mm -hmm. but then maybe there's churn maybe they're not retaining that talent Mm -hmm. what's going on there what what is it where companies are falling down what are they doing i think it's just time and resource a lot of it is and i had this conversation today in fact and sometimes well a lot of the time you're made to feel people who are passionate about DEI almost as if it's like a like a like a like a side project or something like it's it's a really I can't explain it but it's a bit like you're made to feel like it should just come after like it's a bit of fun on the side yeah Yeah. like like can we talk about this after like it's always the afterthought or it's like when there was that big debate around employees who run ERGs. It's a whole other job, but they don't get paid anymore for it. 
it's a passion. It's so it's so passion. It's it's literally ran on passion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and 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 there is a level of emotional labour to that. Do you know what I mean? Because you gain trust within the organisation, and then everyone feels like they can come to you, or you gain a level of respect so then everyone feels like then they go to you and and it's it's a, it's a it's quite a complex space to be in and i feel like when people particularly people again who fall into sort of the minority space or who come under the dem- demographics that are under resourced they then it's like they they're being told to answer their quote unquote problems like you expect the black app wherever it is to be run by a black person right and then that black person has to make sure that the other black people feel safe yeah and then and and I'm, again i'm not saying that that's a bad idea but it's just recognizing that those people also need support yeah and but that comes from that the the advocacy within the organization yeah. that those people don't necessarily have to be black do you know what i mean they just have to feel like they are being supported and the moment they feel like they aren't, they leave. Because they feel it's empty. Yeah. Stuff. like it, it doesn't really matter. Exactly. And they don't, essentially, yeah. in the long run, they don't belong there. And it, I mean, what this speaks to is actually something I was talking with Grace Francis about, a previous podcast guest, about the fact that a lot of, if we're being completely generalising, a lot of white men are not at the table mm-hmm. in diversity, equity, inclusion conversations. And we know a lot of white men are still largely in the positions of power, mm-hmm. which means we have somehow excluded a lot of people in power in some of this work. Now, I'm not saying that they've excluded themselves. Maybe we've... Ex- what is, it's very interesting. What, what their point was, not, from, not to put blame on diverse audiences at all, but somehow these spaces have become exclusive in themselves. Mm-hmm. And, I, and it's obviously a very complex subject that is not is very nuanced and there's so I'm, but I'm wondering how we bring more more empowerment more like like diversity is a bottom line conversation we know that from McKinsey research we know that diverse mm-hmm. boards make better decisions for mm-hmm. example like this, this is we don't have to question that yeah but yet we don't see that change happening very quickly so how do we get that change at the top how do we, the top people go, oh, this is not a side project. This is actually core to my week. Like, what? what's going to make that possible? A lot of it is not generic or as straightforward as we do X, Y, Z. A lot of it is down to individuals, mm. what drives them. Because I, I hear it so much, oh, we have to make a business case. Mm. And it's like... Like, to your point, but we've seen it in the McKinsey reports. We've seen it in the De- Deloitte reports. We've seen it, like... How it, much more research Yeah, like, how much we... more research and data do yeah. we need to put out that mm. that diverse teams make better um, decisions, that women can actually be leaders, that returning to work women can still maintain their jobs and have... Like, we've seen the data. It's, it's one we don't talk about enough, actually, to be honest. Uh, when it comes to like the diversity conversation in age and I think that it will become eventually quite a dying conversation Mm. and and I say that to say because we're living in a time where the millennial the millennial and gen z um 
generation, they are probably the most open, like, and when I say open, I mean, like, open-minded in terms of, like, when it comes to sexuality, when it comes to businesses, when it comes to, even when it, even when it just comes to, like, who their friends are, like, Mm -hmm. you see them in the most diverse mix of people. And I think as that starts to become... As the dinosaurs leave us. Yeah, like, (laughs) you, like, you'll just see the change. Mm -hmm. And I think... It'll be organic change. It'll be quite an organic change. And also, the, the newer businesses that are the future of work and, and us, you'll see change into, for example, if you look at the Airbnbs of the world, the Ubers of the world, maybe, not so much Uber, but, but they're a good example. The, the TikToks of the world, the Depops of the world, all businesses that have kind of started during like the millennium, really, if you look at how they do their advertising, the types of people that they are talking to consumers, and then when you think about like, um, you know, Depop was uh, run by a woman, bought by Etsy, like women-led. When you think about Airbnb and you look at all of their um, um, all of their advertising and how they like uh, run a lot of that their their policies, it's very like uh, I'd, I would say quite forward-thinking. And even when you just look at like tech tech um, organizations like TikTok, like they have quite a diverse range of like different people running like their cultural departments, etc. And you just think, so the future is quite bright. Yeah, like you think there's a lot more hope there when you when you look at businesses like that yeah. in comparison to. And I'm not saying that they have it like perfect or anything. I'm just saying that they're in a better position. Mm. And then you find you find that brands are either having to collaborate with these... Bigger, older brands. Yeah, bigger, older brands. Or they're having to replicate what they're doing. So they're either buying them or... They get left behind. They're just getting left behind, exactly. So it's like... I think think it's a turning table. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And I think... I think that those men that want to be in the conversation will just be in the conversation because they know their power. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And then for the men that don't want to be in the conversation, they just won't. They just won't. It was something we were talking about in the last podcast guest I interviewed, Martin Sibley. Um, he was talking about mature masculinity and he spoke mm. to what you were saying about giving a platform to others. Um, it's a whole other subject that mm-hmm. maybe we can talk about another time, but it, it's really interesting to think how 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 men can step up in ways that are really meaningful that allow them to empower others. It's funny because Which might mean giving up a seat, right? It like you did and yeah. in that group or it might it might mean stepping back when you could because what you're doing is you're allowing space. Yeah. And and essentially sometimes you're just not the best for it. <laughs> right. Do you know what I mean? Like you can't do everything. It's tiring. And and I think that like a lot of men have the privilege to choose like they get so many opportunities so many invites <laughs> yeah so many opportunities and invites yeah. that they can do that like do, do you know what I mean it's, it's so much easier for them to say no yeah because they know that something else will come yeah. like whereas again for women it's probably not the same because they're probably not getting the as much opportunities at pace mm. and there probably isn't as much women at those tables anyway 
Yeah. So it's it's harder for them to say no because they're like, oh, I don't know when I'm gonna, when this is going to come back or when I'm going to have the opportunity to speak on this again. Whereas again, f- particularly for white cisgendered men who are straight, a lot of the time they are the they are the majority. Yeah. So you don't ever have to worry if there's going to be a white cisgender straight man on a t- on a panel. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But then. That's not to say that their voices also are not important, though, as well. Do you know what I mean? And it is about taking away that fear that everyone feels part, right? Yeah, exactly, because at the end of the day, it is still about diversity, and they are still a part of of that. that, Do you know what I mean? Diversity essentially is about difference, and a a point of difference is for everyone. Do you know what I mean? So we do need to still have those men at at the table. It just means that they don't take up the table. Yeah, so the whole table. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? The whole table. And to round up, just because of, of, of time and your time, if if organisations could do one or two things, think about something, do something practical to help move the, the environment they're working in to help to help with true belonging, what would you say? Start with transparency. And the reason why I say that is because I just think like I just feel like people should just start where they are, like a lot of the time everyone feels like they're so caught up on getting it right. They ne- they either never move, they never do anything, like nothing ever gets signed off, nothing ever starts, or they stay in this place of safety, whatever that even means or look like. Like comfort. Like. Comfort, comfort is a better word, yeah, exactly. And for me, I'm just like, there's no innovation in that. There's no real point of difference in that. Like, there's no forward thinking in it. There's no risk, and it's like, like why would you want to be there then Mm. like there's there's i think two things in fact start with transparency and understand its purpose understand the purpose and i think when you have that you can always communicate to whoever you're talking to quite confidently that this is where we're at and i know why we're going to do this xyz because this is where we're trying to get to in terms of our purpose and i think that that's okay like and the purpose doesn't need to hit every single demographic like it's okay start to somewhere. Ha- yeah just start somewhere like just start somewhere and start <laughs> mm. thank you Shani I always love the way we can drop into the deep philosophy and practical action very quickly these are not simple subjects but there are clear best practices that can be actioned straight away and to really help people feel like they belong and have a real future at your company for example now I'm Ruth Ferenga and you've been listening to the Conscious Leaders podcast. We showcase the human side of great leadership so you can learn about what it's really like and gain both philosophical and practical takeaways. For practical advice on how to build a calm, collaborative and productive workplace, as well as news about the new Next Level Leadership book, visit consciousleaders.org.uk and subscribe to our free newsletter. Thanks for listening.